Episode six of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast is brought to you by State Farm. You never know what's going to happen during the NBA season or in life. Thankfully, with a State Farm agent on your team, you can be better prepared for the unknowns life throws your way. Like this game we're about to talk about. Who could have guessed? This was the last time Shaq and Kobe were going to play together. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help you prepare for uncharted territory. State Farm. We're also brought to you by one of the world's last great websites, theringer.com, where you can read about sports, pop culture, and everything else, as well as the Ringer Podcast Network, which has the Bill Simmons Podcast, Dave Chang, Ryan Rossillo, Binge Mode, Ringer NBA, Ringer NFL. We have 30 podcasts. So if you like this podcast, there's a good chance you'll like some of the other podcasts we do. Coming up, we talked about Shaquille O'Neal and his resume for the Hall of Fame pyramid, specifically the Pantheon which we covered in a podcast with Jay Adande a couple of days ago. Now we're back for the accompanying podcast, a rewatchables game about game four, 2004 NBA finals, the Los Angeles Lakers playing in Detroit against the Pistons. My name is Bill Simmons. Let's do it. Unlike Shaq, Kobe's gonna attack. Larry, she's at three quads playing that D. LeBron hits him with that steal, and yet all we feel. Pass it to Luke, yeah, he's gonna juke yeah, yeah. It's a book of basketball, 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 yeah. Detroit, LA, 2004, game four. You were selected for a lot of reasons for these two Shaq pods. But you were covering this team. I did cover this. You watched this team, this team game. fall apart. And when I started watching this game again, there was just a feeling of dread because you know what's coming. Yeah. And you know it's not just a lost game or a lost series. You know this is an end of an era. And it it was just kind of depressing because you know I I didn't have a personal stake in how that team fared, but that affected my life. You know that you've got a championship team in town. You've got one of the best stories in the country to cover right in your backyard. And you think of all the ancillary ways that that having a good team can affect the city, like the the employees at Staples Center with those extra games, the extra money in their pocket, the the restaurants and the and the hotels in the downtown Los Angeles area, all these things that came to become a fixture every June after this game, basically after this series, that was it. And this game really was it. I know the game five was the ultimate game and the, the end of it, but this game was really the end of it because this was their last chance. I was talking to somebody who was saying, no, no, I still thought game five. I was like, no. No, they were done. Because this was, there's three reasons you're doing this. One is this was Shaq's last great game. And this is one of the great performances of his, of his career. Two, this is the end of Shaq Kobe Lakers. And then three, this really, really cool Pistons team that became, now there's been revisionist history where it's like, oh man, they got lucky. Shaq and Kobe, they fell apart because of the trial and all this stuff. And the Pistons were just right place, right time. That Pistons team, we should, we should start there really quickly. That was a really good Pistons team. They made six straight conference finals. Yeah, and we forget they were a game away, uh, Rasheed Wallace, mental lapse away, you could argue, from being back-to-back champions. Yeah. Because they had the Spurs on the ropes the next year. Then Wallace leaves Robert Ory and goes in double teams, and Ory makes the, the shot to save 
that game for the for the Spurs, and then they wind up winning the series. Otherwise, yeah, he, he Spur- double team Manu in the corner <laughs> and left Robert Horry, who was already on fire in the game, <laughs> who had one of the great fourth quarter performances. Yeah, I, I've got some other Robert Horry stuff I might get into later, but um, there's no sound in sports like the sound when Robert Horry is open in a late game situation on the road. It's a collective, ah! <laughs> right. and I and I never recall hearing it more distinctively than in that game at the palace just oh no right and then boom robert ory does what robert ory does i remember the junior skyhook game 87 game four which i was at and the lakers are down six and celtics miss a shot coming back down magic and cooper kind of sneaks over and he's open Hmm. magic sees him and even as he's throwing to him, you could you could hear the sound in the in the arena change, and he's shooting. We all know it's going in. It's <laughs> no, it was slow motion, but yeah, Robert Ory had, had a million of those. One. And he wasn't on this Lakers team. And watching this, I mean, there's a lot, lot of reasons this this Lakers team fell apart. But this the, the supporting cast is so bad. Yeah. Actually, before we go deeper, I, I have a theory. I thought another reason why you asked me to do this game. Yeah. Um, this, as it turned out, was the last game that Ralph Wiley saw any part of. This is the game he died during this game. What? Yes, and and um, during the game, during the game, he had a heart attack and died. And I I had forgotten about that oh for some God. reason. I thought it was after Game Five. Yeah, but um, in in going back and doing my research, my half-ass research on this, um, it was it was after this game. Oh man! And um, I remember Mike Wilbon coming in. The press room after the game, I'm, I'm writing my column, and he came in and told me Ralph Wiley died, had a heart attack watching this game. And it's funny because this series was also his really triumphant series because he called it all along. Everyone in the world was picking the Lakers to beat the Pistons. There was going to be a sweep, you know, five games at most. And Ralph Wiley had been riding the flotsam paradise. Remember that? He kept saying that about the Lakers. It was all the mirage. You know, it was all going to fall apart. The Pistons were tough and gritty. He put his money where his mouth was. He and his son were in Las Vegas, and he put a bet down on the Pistons. Oh, wow. That his son later cashed out. He had he kept the ticket. Jesus. Um, Cole Wiley. And, but that was, that was a part of this, too, was that this, this was Ralph Wiley's last, last NBA game that he saw. So you started covering the Lakers when? Um, I never covered the I mean, Lakers, you started but, like but I was a columnist in LA. Columnist. Yeah, yeah. As you know, basically, not, I get out to LA in '97. I was in Orange County at first, but I would do some Laker games, um, and I would do them in the playoffs. So basically, you know, starting in the '97, '98 season, so that's Kobe's second year, and and then all the way. And you're in there, and this. the cool thing about back then versus what would happen seven, eight years later with like LeBron and Miami and stuff is. It was a lot of media, but it wasn't like an overwhelming amount of media. You could still sneak around and talk to players and pull people aside. And you had a real feel for the locker All room. That stuff. That's kind of the last huge team that somebody could even have a relationship like that with the team, I feel like. Yeah. You know, by the time I'd say the next team that was like this was LeBron's Heat, right? And it, and although, you know what? The Warriors, because just their whole mantra and, and Steph Curry's attitude and Raymond Ritter, the PR guy up there, is is all about yeah, access. Yeah, that's fair. And Curry's you know, good at that yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, so, like, the Warriors, we've been inside, and pretty much everyone's had one-on-ones with the key players on the Warriors. So True. the Warriors were a throwback in that regard. This but, is different, though, because right. one of the big things that I had forgotten so much of this, but um, there was a clandestine bathroom meeting. Yes, between, which Michelle Tafoya brought up. You know, In the game. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so it was between game game three and game four. <laughs> Dustin bathroom meeting. The old term. school Lakers yes. trying to save this team. And they're basically, the Lakers had brought in Gary Payton and Carl Malone 
this is one of the many times we've seen this in NBA history where it's like the new dream team, and then it just doesn't work. Uh, so they have Peyton Malone, Kobe in his prime, Shaq at the telltale into his prime, and everybody thinks they're going to win 70 games. It does not go well. Gary Payton never fits in, is super unhappy. Carl Malone gets hurt during the playoffs. And at some point... And he got hurt during the regular season. Slava right. Medvedenko started 38 games oh my God. in the regular season for this team. We yeah, forgot they, about it was that. never really Carl Malone right. on this Lakers team, I feel like. And also, he had played 60,000 minutes at this point. So Shaq, between game three and game four, Kobe's terrible in this series. And he's just like, just feed me. Let's throw away all the stuff. Let's go with the old school people who understand, you know, just get the ball to me. And Derek Fisher and Rick Fox. So they drifted in the locker too. room. Yeah. All of a sudden, somehow Kobe's in there and they're having the meeting <laughs> to talk about Kobe, but now he's in there and they're all trying to basically undermine Malone and Peyton and be like, let's go with the old guys. And all of this gets out. How does this get out? I think the guys mentioned it. I think Derek Fisher and Rick Fox, I, I think they said it on the record, if I recall correctly. I think Rick Fox definitely did. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because I was looking for these stories this constituted my half-assed internet research, and this is when I discovered some of the other stuff, including the fact yeah. that this was Ralph Wiley's last game. And I, I couldn't find the details on that. And then I was trying to remember the sequence. Did it happen after this game? Did it happen after the previous game? And obviously it happened after game three. Um, but I got that from Michelle Tafoya's sound report. Talk about things that held up. I'm getting a little premature, but like Michelle Tafoya and Stuart Scott, the sideline reporters, I, they were strong. We're, we have that coming <laughs> later. That I was more impressed with this ABC <laughs> telecast than I've ever been by any of their telecasts. So going backwards, they lose in 03. Right after they lose to the Spurs in the conference finals, Colorado happens at the end of the month. And during the course of Colorado, it comes out that when Kobe was being interviewed by police after the sexual assault, he says this thing about Shaq. He says when this happens to Shaq, what he does is he just pays the people off. This gets out in the police report. And but Shaq not is until, not until September. We, we don't find out until after this. Right. Shaq knew. Shaq knew right away everything that happened, including what was said. We found out before the season, though. Before the start of the next season. Oh, so he, but he knew the whole time. Shaq knew the whole time. Um, but then before the start of the next season, after Shaq is gone, but now we we discover that what had been said and the fact that Shaq had played with Kobe the entire year with this in the background. Knowing that he had thrown him yeah. under the bus to the police. What was their relationship like over the course of the last seven years when you were around them all the time? Because it seemed like it started out big brother, little brother, and around 01, 02, it started a flip. It It gets worse, I'd say, in the 01 finals. So in the 2000, you know, they, they'd had their battles and their differences, but in 2000, they all come together and they win a championship. The cover of the media guide the next year was Kobe leaping into Shaq's arms. Yep. Remember that image? Um, so you had all that. You had the, the lob to, to Shaq at the end of game seven, and, and it was this triumphant moment where they all came together. And then the next year um, in the finals, Kobe's really drifting. It, it's weird. They're, they're back in Philadelphia and he's going through some issues with his family, and he's feeling cut off. He's in Philadelphia. His family wasn't coming to the games. Yeah. He's right in his backyard, and because there was some distance between him and his family at the time, I think brought on by um, the marriage or engagement to, to Vanessa, um, that, that drove a wedge between the families. So he's separating from his family, and he doesn't feel like the Lakers are a family. So Kobe's isolated. 
Well, and at the same time, Shaq is eviscerating Philly, as we talked about in the Pyramid podcast. (laughs) He's absolutely destroying (laughs) them and having the greatest playoff series of his career. And that was also the best Laker team. They almost went undefeated in the postseason. Yeah, they got on that run, um, you know, undefeated in the Western Conference Finals, kind of lose fluky in overtime in game one of the finals, and then they regain their bearings and finish it off. But Kobe calls it bittersweet. You Bizarre. Know, yeah. That's the best. I, in my opinion, that's the best team in the last 20 years. Yeah. And and Kobe's saying it's bittersweet. And, and Bill Plasky, to his credit, the next year gets Kobe to to talk about, yeah, it was bittersweet because I was I was having these things with my family. Now he he reconciled with the family. Um in 2002, they 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 three-peat, um sweep, Super sweep the nets. Unhappy season up until the playoffs, and they kind of Yeah, it's, it's a weird back. feeling. You know, I think that's the year Shaq you know, delays the, the toe surgery that he needed, you know, yep. and the famous line, you know, I got injured on company time, so I'm going to recover on company time rather than getting it done over the summer. Um, they kind of underachieved throughout the year and then put it together and win almost kind of, you know, the muscle reflex at that point, right? And then 03, I think they were like 11 and 19 at one point or something through the first 30 games. And they come back, get the Spurs to 2-2 and then lose the last two. But Kobe, that was the year when Kobe yeah, that's had the, the one time Robert streak. Ory misses the shot. Right, it was the yeah. one time he missed it. Kobe's coming into his own. He had the what did um, he have? The he averaged forty points a game for a month, or he had like, like eleven it. straight and, forty point games. Yeah, and then there like was a, like a fifty stretch. Right, um, Michael Jordan is saying, you know, he's starting to see, you know, himself and Kobe. That what he said was that he sees that desire to separate himself, like I had. I wanted to separate myself from the Clyde Drexels of the world. He's trying to separate himself from the whoever it was at that time, Tracy and Vince and Alan. But Iverson. meanwhile, he's saying that because he knows it's going to fuck up Kobe and Shaq. <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, Sha- it's Kobe. This is your team now. And Shaq's like, um, I'm well, three straight but, finals. But, but Shaq was willing to let Kobe, especially in the regular season, Shaq was more than willing at that point to let Kobe, you know, do True. his thing. Shaq, Shaq didn't want to put any work in the regular season. The problem was when it was finals time, now it was Shaq, I want the ball. And that came to a head in these 2004 finals right you know to to kind of bring us back to to the subject of the podcast um you know and kobe had been willing to let Shaq do his thing in the in the finals um phil jackson you quoted me quoting phil saying this at one point that uh going into the 2004 playoffs yeah before the last game in portland howard beck asked him a question and Phil made the point that Kobe traditionally kind of tests and pushes the boundaries throughout the regular season. Then the playoffs come around and he gets back in line, you know, and he plays, he understands what it's going to take to win a championship. And he prioritized winning championships over everything else. And that didn't happen this year. And also you have to wonder if Kobe was prioritizing winning a championship at this point, because in the previous three runs, um, you know, he did acquiesce and he did allow the offense to go through Shaq. And this year, he didn't. You know, the famous stat is he shoots 38% in the finals. And I think he takes uh, 50 more shots, 50 more field goal attempts than Shaq. I, I have the numbers written down, but but he, he's really, he, he really horrible. And in this game, he's 7 for 23. Um, and we'll get into it, some, some of the sequences that, that he went through. Not only is he 7 for 23, but two of them are just heaves at the end yeah. of the shot clock from three that just go in that yeah. are like 5% chance. Like he... There's a world in which he's five for twenty three in this game pretty easily. So and so this is the end, and and this is um, they're having to make a decision. So Kobe's going to be a free agent this off season. Phil Jackson's contract is up, and Shaq, this was the season when Shaq in the preseason was yelling at Doctor Buss. Yeah, pay me because yeah, Shaq wanted me. an extension, and uh, Jerry Buss is right there on the sidelines. And the interesting thing is, I saw 
bus on the way out. And I said, did you see what Shaq, did you hear what Shaq said? And he says, oh yeah, I heard him. He was laughing about it. Um, then somehow the narrative became that bus was deeply offended by that. And that was the reason why he wasn't going to extend him. Um, I don't think it had anything to do with that. No, I think it had more to do with Kobe. Yeah. Made it very clear to him. It's going to be him or me. And he, if you keep Shaq, I'm going to the Clippers. He used the Clippers as leverage. Absolutely. Shaq. And that was out there. And he, he was telling the Clippers, you know, save space for me. Or his representatives were telling the Clippers that. That was the year um, I got Clippers tickets. And they were telling <laughs> me the whole story. And they were coming. like, he was coming. We were making yeah. trades to free cap space for him. Like he rope it up us. Yeah. Um, but he got what he wanted. You know, yeah, he did use that leverage. I'm not going to go so far as to say he directly said him or me to Jerry Buss. I've yet to hear anyone tell me that direct statement was made, but I do. It, I have a pretty good authority that Bus understood that was the situation. I don't think he really had to say it. Probably not. I think he was just like, oh, well, I mean, I could go to the Clippers. And yeah, I think Kobe's smart enough not to say it, but he's also not smart enough to not realize he should have kept Shaq around because <laughs> right, right. Shaq was incredible. Which which he came to later on appreciate. And having Dwight Howard, for example, and seeing what Dwight Howard's about, then those next couple of years, obviously, you know, he misses the playoffs the next year, eliminated in the first round the two years after that. Um, so he, he definitely came to appreciate Shaq. Pretty but rough three years. I will say he won out, um, right? You know, ultimately, they get back to the finals with Pau Gasol. And thanks, to, thanks to Chris Wallace. <laughs> Gift drafty Pau Gasol. Um, and and the, he gets two more championships out of it. And I, I remember my first thought when they beat Orlando. He's back on top of the hill in 2009. And it, a lot of admiration for Even though it was self-inflicted, even though he didn't have to go on this journey, he didn't have to plummet all the way down and climb all the way back. Um, he brought that on himself to a large extent. But given that, he still managed to climb all the way back up. What was the worst thing you saw behind the scenes between Shaq and Kobe? Or was it just like two coworkers that didn't like each other and kind of stayed away from each other? It was tense. Um, there, there's a quote I'll, I'll give him the half-ass internet research when we get to that. Okay. In which uh, he really were, laid, it, laid it pretty bare. Made right. it pretty cool. But he would always hint. He would always, you know, say, go ask him. Um, it was interesting because you'd be in the locker room and Shaq would usually talk first. And you'd be around Shaq, and then Kobe would come out, and Shaq could kind of see some of the people breaking away and drifting away to Kobe, and he's and he's looking, and you feel like, okay, well, I'm kind of done with Shaq, and I want to go to Kobe, but like, but he's I, like I offended can, by it, right? He's keeeping score. They yeah. they were all keeping score on everything, you know, and they were forcing you to take sides. Were you going to be a Kobe guy? Were you going to be a Shaq guy? I which try, which one were you? Were you more of a Kobe? I, I guy? I definitely wound up as a Shaq guy. Oh, you're a Shaq I, guy. I, 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 I tried That's to walk the line. I, been on. I, I tried. I tried to do both initially. Um, Kobe made it pretty difficult. Um, you know, he, he had his people that he picked at, at one point I was in the Kobe circle. I was out for a while and I was back in, um, Shaq just made it easier. Shaq, Shaq invited you along for the journey. You know, I talked about this before too, where, where Michael Jordan did a good job of including you. And that's one of the reasons he was so beloved by the media and everybody else. He, he, he allowed the media not inside, inside, but he he allowed them to feel like they were included. Right. Whereas Kobe didn't allow you to feel included. Nobody had his phone number for for a number of years. None of the beat writers. Um, you know, Shaq, I'd been to his house. I'd, I'd uh, you know, he just he just invited you along during those finals. He said, "Hey, I'm going to the the Philadelphia Zoo one day. You want you want to come with me?" So I just tagged along with Shaq as as he went to the zoo. You know, and and they're taking all these little subtle shots. You know, um, there'd been a story about how. 
like Kobe kind of lost touch with his uh, his high school people. Like he was kind of disconnected from from his high school teammates and things like that. And uh, so we go to the zoo and Shaq's introducing me to, you know, the, his group. I wouldn't call it entourage, but, you know, his people that are with him. And, you know, he says, yeah, this is my buddy, um, Joe. And he's like, you know, unlike some people, I'm still friends with people from high school. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just all these little subtle shots, you know. Well, and, then you also, we didn't even talk about how crazy that 0304 regular season was where Kobe's flying back yeah. and forth to Colorado. Phil Jackson has, I mean, Phil Jackson writes a book after this season called The Last Season that when I say it's devastating to Kobe, it's, yeah. that's an understatement. Yeah, he it's, says he wanted him traded, you know. I mean, so many bad stories about it. And one of them was that Kobe, the Lakers are basically paying for the plane to fly him back yeah. and forth, which is, I don't know how that's not a sour cap violation. And he's defending himself in court and then flying a game, showing up 20 minutes before the game and playing. And Phil Jackson says how Kobe complained about the plane. He yeah, thought it was going to be the nicer. food on the plane, right? Food wasn't nice <laughs> enough. And you have this, and Kobe's statistically, it makes no sense. Because if you look at the arc of what should have been happening, it's his worst season in like six years. But mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, that's because right. he was flying back and forth right. and defending himself in a sexual assault. Like, and, they, and they've got two lead up. major new players to work into. You know, I mean, the, the, it had been the same team for a few years. And then... um uh, you know, you add these two major pieces in Carl Malone and Gary Payton too. So they're trying yeah. to work them in, uh, in addition and accommodate their egos, you know, to future hall of famers in addition to all this other stuff going on. But you know, the, the key things to remember <clears throat> as you watch this game is that Phil Jackson's contract extension had been yanked off the table right before the, uh, right before the all-star break. Very similar to 98 in Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Um, although that was He's in limbo. clear. They made that clear going into the season. True, true, true. You know, this year there was kind of optimism that it could all work. And then, you know, right before All-Star Weekend, the Lakers sent out a press release. They say, we're taking, you know, the, the offer off the table. You know, we're tabling contract discussions. We found out later that, um, might have been in Phil's book, that Kobe had met with with Jerry Buss around, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, around uh, Super Bowl weekend. It might have been the day of the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, um uh, you know, I think it made it clear that, okay, I really don't want Phil around after this. So some highlights from Phil Jackson's book, which really puts into perspective how nutty this season was. Well, and, and I was in the locker room. I was around that team every day and there's some stuff in this book I didn't know about. And when I read all this, I thought, you know what? This is really one of Phil's better coaching job. It's amazing. This team made the finals. So <laughs> some highlights from Phil Jackson's book. He was so concerned about the team's psyche that he hired a therapist who specialized in narcissism <laughs> to try to understand the team better. Uh, he believed Kobe. I think the, the therapist worked with the LA Unified School District. I think that's where he found the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they, we need that that therapist for, I think, the United States of America right now. That would help. Twitter's turned everyone into a narcissist. <laughs> Uh, he believed Kobe was... imagine this team during Twitter, by the way? Oh, my God. This oh, this team in Twitter would have been wow. out of control. Uh, he believed Kobe resented Shaq partly because Shaq made $25 million a year. And Kobe, they, at that point, there was a cap on salaries. Remember, Kobe, Kobe voted was against the, it. the first guy to be impacted by the max salary, right? Yeah. Like Shaq and KG and all those guys. He could they, never they, get they got to that in, right. extra 20%. Um, he did ask Mitch Kupchak to deal Kobe before the trade deadline. He has a story in the book. They're having this awful team meeting and Rick Fox complains to Kobe and Shaq and says, the thing that hurts about this season is you've both acted like you're apart from us and that we're not any good. Shaq 
is affected, starts to talk. Kobe cuts him off and says, quit your crying. And then Phil Jackson says, then I jumped in and I said, Kobe, you're as much to blame as Shaq is, if not more. This sounds like a soap <laughs> opera. It was. It was a soap opera. It's funny. So that year, um, you know, I've been a general columnist at the LA Times. Before that year, they assigned me to the full-time Lakers. Yeah. So that was the one year I was traveling on the road with them, regular season. So I was more involved with that Lakers season than I have any other season before or since. Um, and it wasn't so far. And it's funny because some people, some of my colleagues in the media were like, how are you going to find something to write about every day with those guys? Guess what? It was really easy, really easy. And you had people like Rick Fox, Derek Fisher, like people who are totally great, great understand talkers. the media game. Yeah. yeah. Um, he says at one point, are you feeling like you're coming back to the team next season? Jeannie asked me. Well, not if Kobe <laughs> Bryant. Well, not if Kobe Bryant is on the team next year. Uh -huh. I told her he's too complex of a person. I don't need this. Wow. It seemed like you read this book, and it seems like Phil spent so much time in his life trying to figure out Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And Michael Jordan was easier to figure out because it was like this guy just wants to beat everybody. I get it. Kobe was just like there's just layers and layers behind the layers, and he's not talking to his family and. He's got the rape trial thing going on and just on and on and on. It just seems like he could never get a handle on him. I think he figured it out five years later. He did. It seems like it. And and they matured, you know, and Kobe haven't been in. It helped that Kobe had that one year without Phil, um, both to recognize how Phil's triangle offense helped Kobe. Yeah. And also just the value of Phil Jackson, you know. So it helped that they had that separation. And then Phil comes back less than a year later which is pretty crazy True. too. After this book is published, the, 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 the Lakers are so nuts. So everything you just said, think about that. All those things he said, it printed, you know, it's, it's all out there. It's, it seems like there's no going back after this book comes out. And yet they still come back and win <laughs> four championships together. Sorry about that book. And never say a you. word to each other. He wrote, Kobe is missing out by not finding a way to become part of a system that involved giving something larger than himself. He could have been an heir apparent to MJ, maybe won as many championships he may still win a championship or two, but the boyish hero image has been replaced by that of a callous gunslinger. <laughs> wow. He's coaching him a year later. <laughs> and, How do you come back from harmonious. this? Um, Again, they, they, they both needed each other, you know, and, and this more than anything is proof that no, no relationship in sports is irreparable, right? Um, that's I mean, if this one, so yeah. this is the craziest one of all. Kyle, you're going to have to like. Be ready. You just be ready. Don't <laughs> fall over. So it's Phil talking about when he found out about the allegations in Colorado. You're not going to believe this, Mitch Kupchak said, telling me about Kobe and the rape allegations in Colorado. Was I surprised? Yes, but not entirely. Kobe can be consumed with surprising anger, which he's displayed toward me and his teammates. What the hell is that? I wasn't totally surprised by rape allegations. How does Kobe come back from that? I... All this stuff's nuts. All right, let's go to the uh, finals. So there's one other thing in that book. I think yeah. it was said in the book, and it explained a lot. And Phil kind of summarized the difference between Kobe and Shaq. And he said that Shaq will tell you he's not going to do something, and then he will. And Kobe will say, yeah, I'll do it. And right, do the and then he'll just do whatever the fuck he wants. And that, that I thought really summarized the, the differences between their approaches, and that was kind of exemplified in the... Um, no, he said Shaq would complain, but then he would do yeah, what he wanted. Yeah, then he would wanted. do it. Yeah. yeah. Did, did I say it wrong? I don't know. I just wanted okay. to... Yeah. yeah, but, but that was the thing. He said Shaq would say, I'm not going to do it, and then he would. And Kobe would say, yeah, I'll do it, and then he would do the opposite. Yeah. Whereas, so a great example of that is, I'm pretty sure in the 2004 series against the Spurs, where Phil comes out and says... 
we need Shaq to operate out of the high post. We can't have him in the low post. Or, you know, they've got the two bigs. It's not working down there. And Shaq says, I'm not a decoy. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm a real center. Give me the ball in the low post. I'm not going to just be a decoy right. and, and be passing out of the high post. And then they get in the game and there's Shaq in the high post passing like he's Bill Walton at UCLA or something. So that was a classic example of what Phil meant. And then Kobe sometimes, you know, and and I remember asking one of the guys on the team, I'm like, why do you give him the ball here? And why, why are you doing this if, if you know, you know you're not going to get the ball back? And he says, because in practice, he goes along and he does the offense and then we get in the game and it's just something completely different. Yeah, I mean, this is something Doc Rivers tried to use against him in 2010 game seven. And you could see it in this game, ironically, Doc Rivers doing the game. Yeah. When things went wrong or when Kobe felt like he was in some mano a mano thing, he would just lose it. He would be trying to take on two guys off the dribble and all this stuff. If he felt like there was some chance to be the hero or if he, you know, Rip Hamilton in this series, they had a whole Philly thing going way back and he was really competitive with them. And there are moments when he just gets caught up in that. And Doc tries to use this against him in 2010 game seven. Yeah. Like, let's double team him. He'll shoot anyway. And he did. For Phoenix, three quarters. Phoenix tried to use that against him too in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, and they they knocked him out of the playoffs two years in a row. That was their philosophy too. Like Kobe, you know, get caught up in trying Interesting to Interesting philosophy. Somebody wants to be the hero so badly we can actually use this against him. So we get to the finals. Detroit wins game one in Los Angeles. Shaq has 34. Game two, Kobe's only good game in the series is 14. I think he's 14 to 27. They uh they win in overtime. Kobe makes a huge shot. Um also Kobe the Luke Walton game. Oh, yeah. Kobe is 33, 14 for 27. Luke Walton, 3 of 3 in that game, plus 18. So they avoid a bullet. Now we're going back to Detroit for three. And everybody's like, all right, a little bit of a scare, but they'll be fine. They get killed in game three. They lose by 20. And we're heading toward game four. The bathroom story comes out. <laughs> and now it's feeling like, oh, wait a second. What's going on with this Pistons team, who we've barely talked about? And we should mention the backstory with that team. They lose Grand Hill to Orlando a couple years earlier as a free agent. Devastating. Not really. Grand Hill goes to Orlando, gets hurt. They do a sign-in trade. They get Ben Wallace and Chucky Atkins back. Um, a year later, they flip Jerry Stackhouse to Washington for Rip Hamilton because Michael Jordan, Rip Hamilton's too fast and athletic for him to play with. He's like, I need to slow it down, Jerry Stackhouse type guy. So they stumble into Rip Hamilton. They get Chauncey Billups, who's bounced around, who's a high lottery pick, shrewdly sign him to a contract. So now he's there. So now they have this great backcourt, Ben Wallace. They have Tayshaun Prince, who they drafted late. And then during this season, Rasheed Wallace falls into their laps, which we'll get into later. All of a sudden, they have this awesome starting five. And it's just going, going, going. So anyway. And they have the perfect coach for Rasheed Wallace and Larry Brown. <laughs> Larry Brown, who comes from Philly, who had almost beaten this Laker team before. So anyway, game four, here's how it goes early. They're just trying to get it to Shaq. First quarter, Shaq, four of his first four. It's 21-21 after the first quarter. Kobe's one for six. Can't make anything. Tayshaun Prince is just shutting him down. He can't unlock him. Shaq's keeping them in the game. Billups is killing Gary Payton again. And they're running those stats. Like Gary Payton's averaging three points a game. Yeah. Billups is averaging 21. Th this game was the first time Gary Payton scored a point in the first quarter. Yeah, and the announcers are excited. Yeah. <laughs> this was Gary Payton. 
was one of the best best uh, guards of like the last thirty years, and he by this time he's washed. And he also just didn't fit in the triangle offense. No, which I I thought and was all bad along. about it. Yeah, and so his thing at the start of the season, he would just get the ball and just push it. He was the start of the team like the first week because he wasn't running the offense. He would just get the ball and push it and be like Seattle Gary Payton again. And his whole philosophy is like, if I push the ball up court, I don't have to run the triangle offense. But, of course, you can't get away with that in the playoffs, especially against a team like Detroit, whose transition defense in this game and throughout the series was incredible. And so now you're in a half-court offense, and that just didn't suit Gary at all. They had a stat that I think Al Michaels read in this game. Went on the court together. Chauncey had outscored him 60-12. to 12, Right, right. Like yeah. Chauncey, can't, and, and everyone talks about, oh, if Carl Malone didn't get hurt, blah, blah, blah. It's like the Chauncey versus the L.A. point guards thing is, like, insurmountable in this series. And you throw that with the Rasheed Wallace going against whoever. Slava and they had just these two huge advantages. So we get to the second quarter. Detroit's in a drought. They go two for 19, but they're just getting a ton of free throws. They have, they're over 20 free throws um, by halftime. Shaq's got a 17 and 11 at halftime. Every he time they go every from- every defensive rebound. He was right. great. I mean, this is like an all-time Shaq game. Um, every time they go away from Doc Rivers calls it out. It's like they're going away from Shaquille O'Neal. They've got to get back. Well, Kobe's they, they two for 11. away from him. So yeah. he doesn't get a, his first touch until, like, I wrote it down, like, his first touch is with 9.35 left in the first right. quarter. So they and go then two they and a half minutes him. before he even gets the ball. Because Kobe's shooting. Exactly. Kobe's two for 11 at one point. So at halftime, it's 41-39 Detroit. In the second half, Kobe's, at one point, is four for 17, and he has 10 points, two of which were the crazy heave threes that we mentioned. Rashid is torching everybody. This is like a classic Rashid game. He finishes with 26 and 13. There's a moment in the third quarter. Shaq has 23. Everyone else in the Lakers has 29. <laughs> we go into the third. We end the third quarter, 56 all. And and this game was closer later than I remember. Yeah, totally. Which I'm going to get to that when we get to most rewatchable sequence. Detroit goes up four near the start of the fourth quarter. I thought Doc was great in this game. And Doc goes, the Lakers have to be very careful right yeah. here. And he's right because Shaq's tired. Shaq has not come out in this game. Lakers are in an 0 for 7 drought. And Shaq literally had not come out at that point. Shaq had come out for, I think, 22 seconds. Wow. So that leads us to the first category, which is most rewatchable sequence. So here it is it's 65 to 60, eight minutes left. Shaq gets fouled, makes both free throws. Lakers down three. They get the ball back. Debbie and George breaks <laughs> both free throws. Rip sets up a she jumper. I forgot how nice Rip's kind of half court game was where he could, he had like a little foul line game, but he would also find guys on the corner. Like I forgot I how much could run through him. Too. Yeah. Um, Shaq scores, misses the free throw. They're still down three. Billups hits the, the first three. of his two dagger threes. Yeah. And what's interesting about this, it's created off a 2019 high screen Rashid. Yeah. Rashid comes out. He's got Shaq on him. Fisher goes under. Shaq's too lazy to come out. Billups hits a three. And you watch this Pistons team now, and you're like, this should have been their whole offense. Yeah. Well, and and you mean the, the current Pistons or? No, or I'm that, saying that off if you well, took they, the 04 they, they Pistons. They did that a lot. They, but this should have been, that should have been it. It yeah. was unstoppable. It's yeah. like, I don't know why they didn't run that every play. Well, they did run a lot of Shaq in the screen and roll. And yeah. I, I feel like I remember Steve Kerr writing about that in Yahoo Sports. Remember yeah, he said yeah, that Yahoo yeah, that. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like he was talking about, yeah, they, they should just put Shaq in pick and roll all the time. That's what I would do. And that's what everybody says about Shaq now. Yeah. He couldn't play now. They just put him well, in pick and roll all the time. You see it on that play. I felt like that sequence was the future a little bit of the totally. NBA. And that, okay, here's Shaq overpowering Rashid, getting to the free throw line, 
with the missed free throws have caught up with them. That's 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 the thing about Shaq and his free throws. It was oh, but it didn't stop him from winning four championships, right? You know, so if the key to Shaq, if if this was this great weakness, it wasn't that great a weakness because they still won four championships, and you could foul them all you want, they were still going to win a championship. Well, it hurts um, him here because he makes one or two. Now they're down five. Luke Walton fouls out. I should mention Luke Walton has not made a shot in this yeah. game and has six fouls in 12 minutes. And Doc Rivers is going, I don't know what they're going to do. He's really yeah. spreading the floor. It's like Luke Walton has no points. <laughs> this is how bad this is. But he'd been the difference maker in game two. Right. You know, but he could at least he spread the floor and make one, the right. Lakers thing. So um, puts in Slava, who's yeah. hilariously bad in this game. Sheed misses a three. Shaq dunk. Now they're down three. It's 70-67. Misses the free throw again. Comes back down five minutes left. Billups, dagger. Yeah. Now, dagger three. Now they're up six. Fisher misses a wide open three. Slava fouls the guy going for the rebound. Sheed makes two free throws. Game over. It's eight points with five minutes left. It comes down to missed free throws, effort plays, the inability of, of them to defend Billups. And it snowballs. People came out of this game and like, well, Jack Nicholson flies to there for game five. <laughs> right. It was like, this series ended in these yeah. three minutes. And, that, and they're really course. fascinating three minutes yeah. to rewatch. I would encourage people on YouTube to go check it out. You're right. That's where the game gets away. And again, like we discussed a little earlier, that it's a little preview of where the NBA was headed. It, it, one of the things that struck me watching this initially was that, wow, this was... This was the NBA from '90s through mid 2000s. Totally, you know, because I saw I saw that offense, and it, it's funny. I'm and I'm not a big X's and O's guy, but having watched the Lakers and having watched the Bulls in Chicago so much, the triangle offense, like, and now I'm seeing it again, and it's just so familiar. Like the ball goes, you know, there's two guys and three guys on that side. The ball goes in, and the guy goes to the corner. Like you saw it over and over again, and here it is. It was a time warp, you know, and it just stood out. Um, well, when Billups hits that first three, yeah. Detroit's first three of the game. Yeah, they're one that for they nine. That, it's funny. That was one of my what is the worst. The three-point shooting in this game was horrendous. And you, you know? would think like between Sheed and Billups just running screen and rolls R 30 Rick times Hamilton. a game. Yeah. But you would think like yeah. just that play would have gotten 23s off that were wide open. Um, but yeah, in, it's in really strange age, to rewatch. That three, would that three win out over Shaq's power? And could you punish him by running him in the screen and roll and have, you know, you know, he'd go under the screen and, and could you just get away with trading threes for his two? Yeah, you don't have anyone can stop him, but he's ineffective against what's become the, the ultimate NBA shot now, right? Well, I had, a, I mean, I was going to bring this up later. I'll just bring it up now. I'm not sure Ben Wallace plays as much if this is a 2020 series, because I think you're better off playing Rashid at the five and surrounding him with shooters. Ben Wallace is basically offensively clogging the court. Couldn't he be DeAndre Jordan though? Maybe, but I'm saying like I already have Rashid Wallace. Right. Am I more dangerous if I just yeah a little smaller? And then if I'm playing the Lakers, like if Shaq's guarding Rashid, I'm just pick and rolling him every play until they have to figure out. The funny thing in this game, it didn't matter if Sheed or Ben Wallace was on him. Right. 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 Like Shaq was having his way with both of them. So for so, most rewatchable sequences, it's definitely that one, that but one, there's also... I've, I've got one early. The first quarter when Shaq's just going to town And in particular, when Rick Fox checks in. So yeah. Devin George gets two fouls. Rick Fox checks in. So kind of unintended, they get a little bit of what they wanted with the, the old yeah. school guys. Rick hadn't been playing a lot. Rick was kind of done at this point. Yeah. So he checks in. On his second touch, throws the ball in the Shaq, dunk. Third time Rick Fox touches the ball, uh, throws the ball in the Shaq, baseline, 
layup. I noticed those great entry passes. Yeah. It was like, oh, somebody's throwing Shaq a ne- good entry next pass. Next time he, th- he gets the ball, throws it to Shaq. The Detroit doubles for the first time. Gary Payton cuts. Shaq throws to Gary. Layup. So, like, Rick Fox comes in, boom, boom, boom. And I remember asking about that. That was very conscious on his part. He was trying to send a message. He said what he was trying to do was show everyone, and I'm thinking a certain guy in particular, mm. number eight, look how easy this is. Just give the ball to Shaq. Here's what I'm going to do. And look how easy he's going to score every well, time. Well, rewatching the game, him. I'm thinking, like, I know Shaq's going to end up with 36 points, but I'm right. watching it going, he should have, like, 70 Right. Because they have no chance. Ben Wallace, who was the best defensive player in the league at the time, is still four inches smaller and 70 pounds lighter. But it's not, it's not until stopping. Rick Fox comes in right. and makes a conscious point of getting the ball in the shack that you start seeing this. And then I think I think it did dawn on some of the people like, oh, we should go to Shaq. What's age the best? I have a few things here. One is um, you don't think of this as a Rashid Wallace revenge game. But he is on the 2000 Blazers that have one of the worst collapses in the history of basketball. They're up 17 with 13 minutes left. They're up 12 with eight minutes left. And they cannot make a shot. And over and over again, they're posting him up. And he just can't make a shot anymore. And all the same shots he'd been making throughout the game to give yeah. him that lead, he just can't make them. So he gets a little revenge for 2000. I'm also going to say just Rashid in general for a what's age the best. <laughs> God, you watch that dude and it's like... You would have just been perfect in 2019. What a shame you missed your era by 15 years. I'm, he would have been an incredible five for how we play basketball now. I'm saving my sheet stuff for a little bit okay. later for another category. My what age the best? The script finals logo on the court. Oh, yeah, that was great. Doesn't that look great? Yeah. And so they had actually gone away from that for a while. Like in the late 90s, remember they had those yeah. circular ones? And then by like the 2003 one, they just given up. It was just this nondescript, basic font, oval NBA finals. And they go back to the script finals logo. They have it on the court. They have the Larry O'Brien trophy decal on the court. It looks so great. And there's like this subset of media like me, uh, Vinny Goodwill of Yahoo, Dave McMenamin, <laughs> who are just <laughs> adamant about bring back the script finals logo. That's great. And it um, looks so good on this. One more Rashid thing. I just loved when he posted up. He was like, he was the all time. God, every time I, when you're playing against him or betting against him, it's like, I hope they, I hope or she doesn't realize he could just post up. And when he would do it, he would kind of dictate you with it. Yeah. Like, look, look what I can do. And then he's 25 feet for the basket again. It's like, man, you have every move and down there. His arms were so uh, long. He'd reach up for that jump shot. I love that guy's it. game. Uh, another what's age the best for me is just that the younger version of the Hamilton Billups backcourt, because this, they lasted together for so long, but the, the young athletic version, was really nice. And I think a backcourt that would have succeeded now. I, th- I think it's kind of, there's a timelessness to them. Um, defensively, the movement, all the stuff they're doing, you could have done in any era, I feel like. And Chauncey was so strong in this. Um, also, uh, speaking of Chauncey, Al Michaels in the first quarter of this game basically nominates Chauncey as an MVP candidate. So first quarter game four, he's, oh, he's calling Chauncey. Al Michaels was on it. Good call by him. And, and we can get into Al later on, but that was one of his better that moments. Was nice that, that age well. I have uh, Prince's D on Kobe, which Phil Jackson described later as Kobe scored 25 but needed 27 field goal attempts. Instead of driving it to the hoop, Kobe settled for difficult shots with Prince in his face. He simply didn't know how to attack the kid. Phil's just like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another what's age the best. I forgot how much I enjoyed Rip Hamilton creating the schnozzeroo mask. That was the first one. It wasn't the first. No, but, but the first, like the first one where we actually figured out, like, yeah, this is how it should look. 
This when, won't overheat. He was also the first to embrace it and wear it like long after yeah. he needed to. He just kept it. He just said, he I'm, I'm going to wear it. This he was the Dr. Jonas Salk of the Schnauzeroo <laughs> mask. I enjoyed seeing Dick Bavetta refing yes, a, a one-sided one my, game. Yes. <laughs> what is the best? What, well, a game all, where one team is just pissed off the entire time. But also just referees with character. Yeah. Right? You know, and we're losing those, you know, so Dick's gone and Steve Javi is now a cleric, right? Did you yeah. See that? Like, um, you know, obviously Joey, you know, I miss Joey Crawford. I miss those refs with character. And seeing Dick Bavetta, it's like, oh yeah, good old Dick. Now we just, now we just have Scott Foster who just seems like he's holding a grudge <laughs> at all times. Uh, there's a Slava Rashid dust up in this game. <laughs> and and Doc makes a joke. About Ukraine. If I'm on the Lakers, I, w- I wouldn't separate them. I would let them fight it out because that's a great trade. I thought that was <laughs> you good. Like you that? never hear color guys say that. You have anything else for what's age best? Um, no, I think I'm ready to go to Kobe being in, Kobe being in ball hog mode aged the best for me personally as a Celtic fan. Uh, <laughs> what's aged the worst? Medvedenko is just hilariously bad in this game. It looks like they selected somebody from the stands. He had other moments in the playoffs where he wasn't bad. Even in 03, like he had games where he'd make that little 17-footer. He is so athletically overmatched in this game. It's amazing. Uh, Kobe's performance in the 04 finals in general, he shot 29 for 86 in the four Lakers losses. He only attempted 25 free throws all series. Um, I wrote in 2004... I think we can put a moratorium on the Kobe versus MJ stuff for a while. <laughs> and for me, it died that finals. I, I know he came back a little bit. Yeah. I, I just don't feel like MJ ever yeah, would have had a series hard. like this. Um, I think Kobe scored like 11 points in game three, something like that. Yeah, it was Shaq bad. only had 14 that game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was bad. I, I had what age the worst, uh, the tan suits and brown suits that yeah. Like, whenever you see the Laker bench, like Horace Grant and it's rough. Um, it's a rough era. Yeah. Rough era for clothes. Rough, rough for clothing. Um the the floor cam. Remember that? that Hadn't had? figured it out yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, tough. So some of the things like floor cam was a bad idea. The sky cam never really worked for basketball. So that was some stuff they were trying to do. They're definitely they trying probably. to be ambitious, but they didn't have any of the I mean, this technology. This is their first year with the finals. This yeah. is the first year they had the uh, contract. Um, what's age the worst? Now, Malone was hurt, but just the concept of we need to have somebody clogging the lane for Shaq so their guy can jump over and double team Shaq whenever he wants. It's just weird. Like we wouldn't do it this way now. Like they would have been like, how do we build around Kobe and Shaq? We need a stretch four who can shoot threes. And well, they had it with Robert Horry. They did. Um, but Carl could shoot the 18 or 20 footer. You know, he'd kind of made a, a living on that in True, Utah. True, but in this game, but he's he, on he one couldn't. leg. Yeah, yeah he, he couldn't do that. Also, another thing that used to worst is, is Doc at one point. So Luke Walton does the classic. Um, you know, he's he's out right in front of the two point or three point line, takes a dribble back, shoots a three. And Doc says, I don't like that. I hate that when, you know, you see guys pass up a two-pointer to take the three. Oh, I had that. Yeah. yeah. I have Doc scolding Luke Walton. You know what it reminded me of? Remember, I remember in the early 80s, like when guys would try to dunk and they'd miss and the announcers would be like, oh, he should have just laid it up. You know, he's Selfish trying to be fancy. Yeah. He's a hot dog. And then by the end of the decade, you know, if somebody missed a layup, they said, oh, he should have dunked it. You know, take out the same thing now. You know, instead of, instead of backing up to take three, now every coach would say, and I'm sure Doc Rivers would tell this guy, take the three instead of the long two. Totally agree. Half-ass internet research. Kobe talked about this game in 2015. He talked about Carl Malone. He said, I don't think it would have made much of a difference. We didn't know how to run an offense. We didn't understand when to backdoor step, when to run a blind pig, when to run a reverse action. Throughout the year, we weren't religious about how we executed the offense. We tried to rely on talent a lot more than the <laughs> office itself. 
We managed to pull a rabbit out of the hat and beat San Antonio. We're down to 2 but it caught up to us. I watched this game as like you broke the offense more than anybody. Right. What are you talking about? Right. I, I saw the same thing, and I was and, and it was true when watching that game. There were times when they got really shaky with the offense, but go when you're in there, you shot 38 percent that whole series. Yeah. So when, like it wasn't just that. When you're taking on two guys, I, I've got one that I alluded to earlier. Yeah. Um, half hesitant in research. I'm not sure how I came across that this quote, but after game two, the Luke Walton game, yeah, um, where he just was everything. He was facilitating. He was he was just doing all this great stuff. And Shaq says. It amazes me how he, he being Luke Walton, how he can give me the ball and guys who have been playing with me four, five, six, seven years can't get me the ball. Wow. <laughs> There's he only, says this in the middle of the Only finals. one guy who's played with him six, <laughs> seven years. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, speaking of God, they years, hated each other. Do you realize, it, this dawned on me uh, the night before we taped this, I, I went to a Clipper preseason game at Staples Center. Yeah. And I was walking, I'm like, God, it's just weird. Clippers, no Blake Griffin, no Chris Paul. It's just so different, completely different team and just how fast things change. But I, I looked it up real quick. Chris Paul and Blake Griffin played more seasons together at Staples Center than Shaq and Kobe. Seriously, which is a stunning stat. They played six years together. Shaq and Kobe. Now, obviously, Shaq and Kobe. Oh yeah, because Staples Center changed. And, and, yeah. and but you know, we still think of them Staples. It's hard not to see Staples Center, not think of Shaq and Kobe. They only played five years there. Chris and, and Blake Griffin played six years there together. That's a good one. Um, wanted to mention Kobe and Malone's relationship. They were really close on this team, and it fell apart the next year because. <laughs> His wife walked over to Carl Malone at a Laker game and she's and he was wearing a cowboy hat. And she said, What are you doing, cowboy? And he said, I'm hunting little Mexican girls. And she's yeah. like, What? And he said, I'm hunting little Mexican girls. And she got offended. And Kobe, Kobe got mad. Yeah. Kobe and his wife, Carl Malone and his wife, the four of them all got on a phone to talk about it and it didn't go well and they stopped being friends. And yeah. this is a thing that you can Google. There's stories oh, yeah. written about oh, yeah. it. It's like, this isn't like gossip. This no, was a no. news story. Well, and Kobe talked about it on the record. Yeah. You know, and, and Carl Malone acknowledged it too and kind of had to go back. And remember, at the time, there was some thought that maybe Carl Malone might come back yeah, you know, and rejoin it. the Lakers. And it was officially over after that. Yeah. One other half fast internet research. All right. So, how did Detroit get Rashid Wallace? Portland trades him to Atlanta. They just want to get rid of him. Two days later, three team trade. Detroit gets Mike, uh, Rashid Wallace and Mike James, who's going to come up in a little bit. The Celtics get Chucky Atkins, Lindsey Hunter, and a first-round pick who becomes Tony Allen, number 25. They wave Lindsey Hunter two days later. He goes back to the Pistons, plays in this game. Atlanta gets Bob Sura, Zoko Rebracha. Wow. A first-round pick, which becomes Josh Smith. Wow. And $3 million in cash. The annoying thing about this trade, and I wrote this at the time, was Danny Ainge gave Detroit Rashid Wallace because they couldn't do this trade unless they found a third team. Mm. And he ends up doing it. And his attitude was like, well, we get a first-round pick. I don't care who wins the title. But you could argue he could get a championship ring for this because they can't make the Rashid Wallace trade without him. And if he's not in this game, they don't win the series. Oh, also thinking of, and this might fall in another category, but I'm going to do it. What age is the worst? Uh, Darko Milicic's frosted tips. <laughs> we, ha we have him coming. Yeah, save, save your darker thoughts. Greatest what-if sliding doors moment. We talked about Colorado, but I think that if Colorado doesn't happen, do Shaq and Kobe still play the same amount of time together, or do you feel like they try to make it work for one more season? I feel like it's um, it exacerbated the situation because you know they weren't they weren't the best of friends. They weren't getting along. Um, also, what it did was it removed Phil from the equation. So I think Phil played a good role in getting them to come together 
you know, and, and be a championship team. Um, Colorado happens. Phil's reaction is a little bit strange in that he he feels he needs to leave Kobe alone. Yeah. You know, and it turns out that Kobe, what Kobe really needed was he, he needed to feel included and he needed to feel like people had his back. And that's one reason he grew close to Carl Malone that year was because he felt like, and in part because they both lived in Orange County, so they were closer to each other, physically yeah. closer to each other. But also, you know, Carl really became an ear and a shoulder for him um, and helped him talk through a lot of things. Um, Derek Fisher actually wrote Kobe a letter, like a letter at one point in the year, and just just to say, look, I'm really amazed at how you've been able to hold it together under this incredible duress. Um, but Phil just thought, you know what? I don't want to talk, you know, Kobe probably doesn't want to talk about the situation. I don't know how to approach it with him. Um, so I'm just going to kind of retreat. And then obviously what, you know, Shaq becoming aware of what Kobe said in Colorado, they they were just on completely different pages. I mean, they, you know, they, they at one point they held a meeting and uh, Devin George calls up Brian Shaw to come down and be a peacemaker. Brian was off the team at this point. Yeah. I think he was, might've been scouting for the team, but he was moved back to his hometown of Oakland. He's like, Brian, you need to come down. Um, they bring in, I think Brian says, okay, we need Carl and Gary in here as like muscle to like, in case Shaq's going to attack Kobe. I'm like, they were at that point where the team was worried that you couldn't have them in the same room alone together. Wow. Because that's how, you know, antagonized they'd become. Um, but the Colorado situation, what happened, what Kobe said, you know, just further separated and just basically cemented their differences at that time. I mean, they've reconciled now. But, you know, at that I've point, never believed at that. that point is a record spot. I think no, Shaq's no, doing e it for e a brand. Everything is reputable. Everything is reputable. I've, As we saw, Phil and Kobe came back together. Like I said, true. that is proof that everything is reputable. I don't believe Shaq's forgiven him. Orlando, uh, we mentioned how they got Ben Wallace. That was another what if, because if they don't think to do the sign and trade, they don't win the title. Can, can I do my what if? My final one? Oh, I thought you, I thought you did it. Go. Oh, I think it's a big one. What if Carl Malone hadn't gotten hurt? Um, I, I think that's really big. He he had become kind of the the soul of this team. Um, there was a first round game against Houston where he was like really scrapping it out and his jersey gets torn and he yeah. like proudly keeps playing with the torn jersey. And again, Kobe could confide in him. Um, a lot of guys came to really respect him very quickly and he be, kind of became the, like the conscience of that team a lot. He became a go-to guy for the media. Um, you, you talked about, yes, they had Rick Fox and Derek Fisher, but Carl Malone provided a very wise perspective, even though he wasn't well-versed in, in the Laker culture. Um, and he just provided a lot of toughness. I don't think Rashid goes off as much if he's going up against a healthy Carl Malone. You can see in his game, he just has nothing, right? He uh, There's one um, play where he drives to the basket yeah, and he can't and even he, jump. Yeah, he gets yeah. like two inches off the ground. Like Both Wallace's block his shot, yeah. I think. And there's another point. And this, is, this becomes the ending sequence, basically the final on-court sequence where he's passing up an open jumper. I think he gives it to Kobe. Like, he just couldn't do anything out there, right? Passes up the shot, um, gives it to Kobe. Kobe loses the ball. Pistons go on a fast break the other way. Carl just kind of jogs down. Like, ordinarily, even earlier in the playoffs, that version of Carl Malone would have hustled back and would have, you know, drawn a charge or something, you know, broken it up so they don't get a layup. He just kind of half-heartedly jogs back. They score. Timeout Lakers. He just dejectedly walks to the bench and that's the last that we see of Carl Malone the second all-time leading scorer in the NBA wow. at that point it's a really sad and you don't you don't realize it at the time and I didn't realize it the first time I rewatched it but that was the end of Carl Malone's career and there were moments during the season when he had reinvented himself as basically the glue guy yeah he was the glue guy which I, this is a guy who was 27 10 every year but he was like oh this is really interesting what how he's reinvented himself and it, and it, it was an, he became an essential part of that team that's why I think it's I think it's a different story 
if he plays. Maybe this game, maybe they get it back to L.A. And then the other one. I, I don't know if they could have solved the backcourt stuff about <laughs> a Kobe scoring issues and then the Billups versus Peyton and But Fisher. if Wallace is the star of this game, I think it gets neutralized a little bit. I mean, So at least it's 2-2. Two, two. Your goal yeah. is to get this back to yeah. L.A. And I think you could have done it. Now, yeah. now, now. Maybe if you don't have Carl Malone the rest of the way, if this is like his swan song, if he gives it all in this game and that's it. But I think a healthy Carl Malone had made a difference in the playoffs. And then if they win, the ultimate what if, Jerry Buss said this, this is a little more half-assed internet research. Oh, Jerry Buss at one point said, I do think if they had won the championship, I do think I could have talked to Shaq and Kobe and gotten them on the same page. This is incredible by Adande here. He's actually <laughs> like bringing new stuff. I didn't even find some of this stuff. We should. We didn't really talk about how the ring chasing with Peyton and Malone, which was a part of the narrative of this season. I mean, now it's but now, everyone's doing right. it, but it was a little bit new at that point yeah. of these two guys who had never won. Now they're going for it. Um, we weren't judging you know, them the same like, way we judge now. But. Like David West, right? We by D David West point, he goes to San Antonio and then he goes to the Warriors ring right. chasing. But just like David West, David West gave up. $10 million to do so. Carl Malone, Carl Malone was playing for $1.3 million yeah. this year, 1.7, something like that. I know it started with a one. It started with Ray Bork the previous decade. But when he, he was beloved, right? In Boston, they he all was. loved him for it, right? But it was that Elway had finally won the title and we were more aware of narratives and what it meant to not win the title and stuff like that. And it started to feel like it was becoming a thing. Nerd Corner, only two players ever put up a 36-20 in a playoff game and made 70% of their shots. Shaquille O'Neal, game, game four, 2004, 36-20, 16 for 21. Wilt Chamberlain, game six, 1970 finals, the game Willis Reed did not play in. 45 points, 27 rebounds, 20 for 27 field goals. Uh, he was five for 14 from the line in that game. Shaq was four for 11. That's it. The two times it's ever happened. Wow. So to put a bow on how good Shaq was in this game, like this was actually like, Historic. A historic game. Do you know how many dunks he had in this game? Four? Eight. Wow. Yeah. Deion Waiters Award for best heat check. Not a lot of heat checks in no. this game. There's a really good Mike James stretch. Yes. Four points in four <laughs> minutes, and he's got a lot like of right energy. At the end of the first half, stuff. right? Yeah, so shout out to him. The Grady Little Award for biggest coaching fuck up. Uh, this was not Phil Jackson's greatest series. I, I just have, I thought he should have pulled the plug on Malone and Peyton sooner. Um, I think he Rashid, does in game four. He he, he does starts to in the second half, but like yeah. Rashid's not even guarding Carl Malone when he's yeah. out there, and they and he was just able to come off him, and and then uh, I just would have gone small. I was writing this in two thousand four, and I didn't even understand what small ball was. <laughs> Doc says with six minutes left, I think he should go real small. Quote huh. doesn't understand. Talk? He's talking about yeah. small ball, but yeah. um, you watch this now. Those two things plus not doing hack a Wallace. Wallace can make a free throw. And I think to like knock Detroit out of their rhythm, I think I would have tried it because he knows the value of it because people did it to Shaq all the time. That also coincides with the, another thing that is the best to me is Larry Brown not fouling Shaq. Right. Um, he's doing very, like with honor. Consciously. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and, we should have put that and, in what's age the best. And, uh, we, can, we can add it, right? Yeah. Post, post edition. Um, but yeah, that definitely is the best. It, it may, I mean, this game was aesthetically bad as it was, but imagine how much worse it would have been if it was just a parade of free throws. And so yeah. I, I give Larry Brown a lot of credit for, for that. Um, the best chemist, Rick Fox is really demonstrative and great on the bench. I thought it was his, uh, his best acting performance since us. <laughs> Cause clearly he knew the season was screwed. He was going for it anyway. Devin George had a good yeah moment. Yeah. Uh, there was an N one. Um, half-baked big picture take. 
should Mitch Kupchak take more shit for this team that he put together where you have Slava Medvedenko playing crunch time in the in the biggest game of the leftover Shaq and Kobe era before it self-combusts? There's nobody. He can't find anybody. Well, can't find from some six foot eight kid who could shoot threes. I mean, they, in the second round. They were barely able to squeeze in Carmelo and Gary Payton. It's funny because Mitch. What about actually, their drafts, though? Yeah, it, it, you could say that the drafts was catching up, but again, they're drafting at the end of the round. You know, I mean, they're they're coming off basically three straight championships. You know, they lost the year before, but you know, they they don't have great draft picks. They're they're capped out. Are we sure Peyton and Malone was a good or Peyton? Are we sure that was a good idea? It wasn't a good fit for the triangle. You Didn't know, so. we know that before they signed him? I always He's thought He's a guy that. who had the ball in his hand all the time. Yeah, yeah he wasn't a Phil Jackson-type guard, and that, that proved to be the point. And, Come on, and also, Kupchak. they wanted him for defense because, you know, they'd been getting torched. They got torched the year before by, by Tony Parker, and they thought that, you know, okay, these guards won't, won't torch us anymore. They'd been getting killed defensively by point guards, and you bring in the glove, you know, one Do of the all-time great defensive, but— he didn't have it at that point. And also, he just, he wasn't effective against Tony Parker. He got killed by Tony Parker in that Spurs series. He had to get them to change their whole defense um, and pack in pack in the defense and and leave guys like Hito Turkoglu alone on the wings. You know, Gary correctly said, Hito Turkoglu ain't beating us, you know, from three-point shot. But Phil Jackson was very reluctant. But they had to change their whole defensive scheme midway through that series because Tony Parker was torching him in the first two games. Well, we thought maybe... GP wasn't washed and was the triangle's fault. And then he came to my Celtics a year later. Turned out he was washed. <laughs> but he got a ring with Miami. <laughs> he did, that. eventually. Next category. I don't have a lot of complaints here, but it's the Tim McCarver Memorial Broadcast Team Complaint Corner. I was kind of stunned. Doc Rivers might have been the best color guy we've ever had. I always thought it was Steve <laughs> Kerr, but Doc Rivers was amazing in this game. And then we had Stu Scott as the sideline guy who's like- Stuart Scott, sideline reporter. The who most told, over-qualified sideline reporter we've ever had. And who might have produced one of the greatest sideline anecdotes, the Ben Wallace thing you talked about, yeah. where he, he gets into Ben Wallace, who was wearing the fro out at the home games and braided on the road. And the reason why, as he explained to Stu, was that on the road, he got a lot more flack from the fans who were calling him buckwheat and yeah. stuff like that. And I'm not doing it justice at all, but the way great. Stewart told it was really funny. And I thought, that's one of the better sideline updates I've ever heard. Stewart Scott, sideline reporter. He, most underrated media guy we've had in the last 25 years. Even I like would take would take shots at him every once in a while. But now I like really we've never replaced him. He, he was he was a he giant. He was awesome. Right. And he and did groundbreaking. He, and he had a great interview after the game with the Wallace brothers. So he calls the Wallace brothers <laughs> and uh and gets some good stuff out of Rashid about the Slava fight and so Al Michaels does this game, and I was kind of harsh on Al Michaels as a basketball broadcaster that year. I actually thought he was good in this game. I thought him and Doc were excellent. He was pretty good. He did the B -b 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 Ben Wallace. Do you notice that? He was yeah, he, yeah, he was trying yeah. to get some Al Michaels jokes he, he, in there. He had a, a Hemingway reference that didn't really hit right. <laughs> at one point for who the bell tolls. You know, but he was certainly better than like Marv now, like 78-year-old Marv. Marv now, but like- Not Marv, Marv back then. Yeah, not, but- you know, better than Costas. Was Costas doing it for NBC? Oh, he was way better than Costas. Yeah, yeah but I, I still, I remember thinking that Al Michaels, who is great, you know, and one of the all-times, and the only guy to do all four uh, finals of, of the four major sports, uh, you know, throughout his career, um, I just felt like he didn't have a feel for the rhythm of the NBA. I agree. You know, and, and he hadn't done it in like 40 years, I think, but it just felt like he never quite had basketball rhythm. And... I think he and Doc worked really well together. He was amazed by that. I remember before they started, they they did like a couple practice 
practice games that nobody ever heard outside of the truck, you know, just for them to get their the run of things with Doc. And I just remember him telling me, Doc Rivers is really good. Like he was really And they became very close friends because yeah. they both love playing golf. Yeah. I noticed Doc's voice sounds great in this game. <laughs> I get the extra 15 years of coaching he's done. Now he's, and he's had some throat issues too, but he, it doesn't even, you wouldn't even recognize him voice wise in this game compared to now. And it's so weird to think he goes from that to, you know, historic, right? Like, you know, yeah. wins the championship with the Celtics and, right. and, you know, has been out here with the Clippers for so many years now. And I realized he's starting to get Riley-esque in that, I think Pat Riley is one of the great basketball stories. And if you look, he's connected everything from the UTEP Kentucky game, you know, the 71, 72 Lakers and the yeah. battles with the Celtics. And of course the Showtime Lakers and then going up against Michael Jordan in the nineties and LeBron. Yeah, I mean, he's tied into everything in the last 50 years and doc isn't quite there, but he played against Michael Jordan and with the bulls in the nineties. And, you know, obviously You're right. he does go to eighties, nineties, two thousands, two thousand tens. Yeah. And, and you can go through and then, you know, the fact it, it, it was weird. I, I started thinking about that just because this role, we we've kind of forgotten how good he was at this. Um, but he's had a variety of roles. He's been a variety of places. And when you look back on his career and it helps that he's such a great storyteller, I can't wait to sit down with like 78 year old doc rivers one time and just have him take me through his career and all the stories and all the insight he could provide. I think he's gotten become a better coach this decade. I thought he did a really good job last year. I, I was very frustrated with him with the Celtics, but I think, you he's, think he's better now than he was with the I Celtics. I do. I thought he did a good job last uh, year. They, he did a great job last year. I mean, I'd that, like that to, team had no business being in the playoffs. I'd like to thank you for the ringer idea I'm going to sign after we finish this podcast about somebody writing about 45 years of Doc Rivers. Well, I'll give you credit. Okay. Are you? Do you want to write it? Are you still writing? I'm freelance. I go freelance it. Right, maybe you should write that. Yeah. That sounds like a, a Donde special thing. All right, I'm assigning that to you. Apex Mountain. This is where we decide whether this was somebody's apex of their career. They the, they were the best at what they did. They were most power or whatever. I gotta say, ABC's finals coverage. This might have been the really? apex for me. Yeah, it's hard to beat Michelle Tafoya and Stuart Scott as your side. Oh my reporter. god! And I thought Doc was easily the best color guy they've had. Um, I think this is the apex for every piston starter. Yes, yes. And when, All when, of them. When, when All I thought five. to that category, yes. You know, Chauncey, finals MVP. Yeah. Rashid has never been more more important. Um, you know, like you said, revenge for the, for the uh, game. I'm not sure it's Larry Brown's apex. It's the only NBA championship he ever won, granted. It's either this or Kansas, and I'm not sure. I've always said the fact that he had a winning record coaching the Clippers when they were the Clippers, <laughs> the sports arena Clippers. Going 43-39 with the Clippers? Yes. I think that's the greatest testament to his coaching build in the NBA. So Larry Brown, not Apex Mountain. Every other Clipper, Joe Dumars, Clip, you know, as, as the Joe GM Joe Dumars is a GM. This yes, might be his Apex absolutely. Mountain. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it went south pretty fast. I have Pistons fans as Apex Mountain because six months later we had the Artest Melee. <laughs> yeah, never got better than this. Really never right got better now, than yeah. right now for the Pistons fans. Uh, hottest retroactive take, one that you no wish Lakers you had Apex, in the moment. No by the way. You know, Luke, game two was Luke Walton's Apex. I, know, I, I don't know if that counts because we're doing game four. Game two was Luke Walton's Apex as a basketball player. You got a lot of money off that. Sure. I'll give you that. Yeah, he did make like 30 million bucks, right? And that's the only good thing I have to yeah. say about any Laker. Well, okay. Our, you know, if if a lot of this podcast is about Shaq, where do you put this? Because he I was, was going to say it's like post prime Shaq's apex, basically. You know if the we, stat in this? They they talked about this in the game, like how he was with like two days rest versus yeah, one yeah, day yeah. Rest. Like that was a critical component of this, and it was something like I I think it was okay with one day off, 
he averaged 17.6 in this. I, I think this is throughout the playoffs in 2004. Uh, and this is going into this game. More than one day off, he averaged 24.6 points. So he's seven points better wow. with, with two days off. Hottest retroactive take when you wish you had in the moment. So mine is if Detroit doesn't fuck up the Darko pick, I'm not sure they win this title. Really? Whoa. I thought, was, taken, I thought this was going to be like a what if, this Dark, is, Darko and Carmelo. This is my hottest retroactive take. All right, let's 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 play it out. They take okay. Dark, They take Carmelo. Now Tayshaun Prince is playing less. Now they have to weave Carmelo in. He doesn't really, I like Carmelo. I'm a Carmelo defender. He doesn't really fit in with this team. If you're not playing him, he's unhappy and everybody's like, why isn't he playing? If he is playing more, now Prince isn't playing, and Prince is the guy who locks down Kobe in this series. And so then Carmelo maybe, takes Tayshawn's minutes? He takes at least some of them. And then on top of it, maybe they don't do the Rashid trade. Maybe they're just wow. like, yeah, we, we can give some of those minutes to Carmelo. There's a possibility that they had to sacrifice this entire draft to win this title. Because Darko, that's one of the historic busts of all time. Now, the other part is, if they just trade down, and they take Wade five, and you put young Wade on this team, because everybody talks about Carmelo, it's actually young Wade would have been the amazing one, or or Bosh. They've taken Bosh, then they don't make the Rashid trade either. But if you took young Wade and put him on this team, they might have won like four in a row. See, my counter to that is, when was Carmelo's peak of his career? When was his apex? When and where? Oh, nine or Denver 13. Denver Conference yeah. Finals, right? Oh, Who was his point guard? Chauncey Billups. Right. You know, so maybe just as Chauncey brought the best out of him when Chauncey got to Denver, maybe Chauncey playing with Carmelo and and not just Chauncey, all those guys. I mean, that was a great veteran team, right? Long term, I think it's great for him. I'm just saying this they don't win that championship. year. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they win the championship if he's there. I don't know what he screws up. I this just think him. I think it has to he's be brought coming up. off winning a championship with Syracuse, right? That's the year before, right? He didn't he go one and done. So you think that might be better? I just think Carmelo, Carmelo plus Chauncey. I'm really weighing in on the Chauncey and leaning in on that. The, but but the here's Chauncey the thing. Factor. We know they win the championship with how right. it played out. I'm saying. Could, could it be a dynasty? Have... If, if they win a championship with him that year, I think they're beating the Spurs the next year. Well, the funny right? thing is, yeah, I mean. And, oh, and I the definitely whole agree way we think about Carmelo was different. So you look at their bench in game four. They score eight points. Mike James has four. Lindsey Hunter has four. I think the Laker bench actually That's outscored them. The Laker bench. bench was terrible. Nobody outside of Shaq, Kobe, and Gary Payton had multiple field goals for the Lakers that game. So we could give Carmelo, we can give him 13 Eldon Campbell minutes that you forgot happened. We could give him five Corliss Williamson minutes. Those I forgot. I remember Eldon Campbell. Corliss Williamson was on that team? 35 seconds of Darvin Ham. <laughs> and we could take eight minutes away from Tayshawn and get him to like 22 minutes off the bench as like a six man. I don't know. Maybe they would be better. How it played out, they won anyway. I think where it kills them is 04, 05, 06, right. 07. Plus, right. he was trade bait. You know, maybe it yeah, doesn't work out. You could flip him for, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, who knows? I, it's a great what if. We're about to get to him. Best unintentional comedy moment. My two nominees are all 135 shots of sad, frozen Phil Jackson. Just <laughs> looking like somebody who's watching his lottery ticket burn, basically, and just wondering what he's going to do next in his life, or when Darko comes in at the end. 
The last 25 seconds, Darko <laughs> like, comes Darko in with his frosted, with frosted tips. tips. <laughs> the human victory cigar is like, this is the number two draft. You were, you were, he was taken between LeBron and Carmelo Anthony. And ahead of Dwayne Wade. And ahead and of Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. <laughs> and it's like, here's Darko. Remember this guy? It's hilarious. It is funny because you had forgotten about it, right? Like yeah. It, and and you're like, oh my God, that's right. They took Darko. Like that hadn't been on my mind that whole game. You know, as as much as I'm arguing for they would be better with Carmelo, I'm not sitting there watching this game thinking, man, if they had Carmelo Anthony here, you know, that wouldn't that hadn't entered my mind. And then, yeah, right at the end, here comes Darko with his frosted tips. It reminded me of so so, funny. so Covering that series, we used to stay out in uh, the Troy Marriott, way out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. which was like 30 miles outside Detroit. And then it's like another 20 miles to get to Auburn Hills from there. And the only thing out there, there's a mall like on the other side of the freeway. So I go over to the mall on the off day and there's like Darko and his buds hanging out in the mall in the middle of the NBA final. Like, oh what, my what God. are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing out here with your frosted They're tips? like Spencer gifts, <laughs> <laughs> buying, some, buying some mugs with swear words on them. Yeah, I... I mean, you could make a case they won the title anyway. There's a chance Melo screws that up, but I think they end up winning the title eventually in 05, 06, 07, maybe more than So if one. they didn't win that one, they they're getting one eventually. One. I, I don't know. I just don't think I don't think Prince Prince played 42 minutes in this game. I think if Carmelo is there, I'm not sure he develops the same kind of com confidence, reps, all that stuff. I think he might have screwed it up. It's I still, possible. I still think the the bigger what if, the casting what if, if we're going to borrow rewatchable's term, is what if you hit a healthy Carmelo? I really think one. that makes more of a difference. I'll give you that one. Uh, any unanswerable questions? You just gave one. What if we had a healthy Carmelo? That, that, that's that's the one that, that lingers. Um, the the kind of after effect one is, um, yeah, so, the, so there's all the things that happen. I, I, I think if they win, I, I think they run it back. Um, I know Mitch Kupchak would be inclined to. The question is, would Jerry Buss want to do that? Would he want to commit to Shaq? Would he want to commit to, you know, $10 million a year or so for Phil Jackson? Or maybe, maybe it's like six or seven back then. But still, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot to commit to. But I think Jerry, Jerry, whenever they won, was inclined to run it back. Um, I think the what my big question, I've always felt they left a championship on the table. I thought Kobe and Shaq had one more championship in them. Um you know, I as, mean, it I, as it turned out, Kobe had two more with, with Powell. But I, I think Kobe and Shaq would have been good for one more. We saw Shaq win another one. And I think you would have seen him defer to Kobe the way he deferred to Dwayne Wade. That was Dwayne's team, you know, when they won that championship in Miami. Well, I let think me ask you this. That same thing. Unanswerable question. After the 2000 finals, and I say to you, over under Shaq Kobe titles, six and a half. Do you go over or under? I'm, under I'm six, talking to six. 2000 you. I'm saying over under six and a half because MJ had six. Yeah, that's a high number. All right, what if I said five and a half? Ooh, that that hook, that hook is tough. Getting to six. I just would have, just looking at the league the way it was, I would have been like, these guys, I wrote it. I thought they had six in them. I thought they were going to match. They're, they're at the start. Um, but, but uh, you know, we could start to see Shaq breaking down. That That's why. Not in 2000. But not, not in, in 2000, 04. but 2004, you're seeing it. And kind of the other what if, and Jerry Buss brought this up. He says if they hadn't traded Shaq, you know, if he hadn't been in revenge mode, you don't get that next two years of Shaq. I think Lost that's a fair. lot of weight. Um, he got his revenge body. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to ask if, would we have seen that Shaq we saw the first two years in Miami 
if you had me trade. I think also, there's a chance it could have been like the really unhappy ruining everybody else's season shack that we saw a couple times later. And, and we saw a little bit of that in, it's funny, I was, I was thinking some of the things about this series, one thing that was different was that we didn't get the playful, you know, Shaq at the press conference podium. No. You know, that had been a staple of the finals. You know, he would just be entertainer mode. For one thing, this was the first time they trailed after two games in the finals. Yeah. Or after three games, I should say. So, you know, normally when he'd be kind of playful and, and remember he used to just make jokes. Every time there was a press conference situation, he would tease the, the transcript people. That was just his thing. And we didn't get that this year. I, that was one of the things I was thinking watching that game. Just the, just the whole body language and the mood of the Lakers as you watch this game. Um, Michelle Tafoya talks about it. You know, they, they, they lost their swagger. Um, and they were so confident coming in. And, and this was a defeated group even at the start of game four. Yeah, you could feel it. Uh, who won the game? Rasheed Wallace. You know, Chauncey was the MVP. Sheed wins this game. Chauncey to some degree with the threes. Th those two. Every Kobe critic. I want to give it to Sheed, but in a weird way, I feel like Shaq wins this game. I mean, it's interesting. You, you, you base this on Shaq. You know, when you proposed this to me, it was, it was really looking at it through the lens of Shaq. It's just like, it's the last great Shaq game. And I think he's one of, as we talked about in the Pyramid Pod, he's one of the 13 best players ever. His ceiling was top five or six of any player ever. And this was kind of the last time we saw this version of him. Yeah. So when I think of this game, I think of him first. But when I watched it, I was like, man, Rasheed Wallace. Yeah. So I'd say Rasheed won the game, but Shaq kind of wins the legacy of it in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Phil Jackson said after. Um, so we wasted this, right? He said, he said, we just wasted one of the all-time great Shaquille O'Neal performances. And the reason he said it was he basically knew it wasn't going to happen. Again. Right. He was like, we're, we're not getting this in two right. days. But, this, and is, this was a one-time That's only. why it's kind of hard to say one because in two, just two years earlier, yeah, you knew damn well you were getting that. You get another 36-20. Um, I think I looked this up. He uh 28 points per game, 20.6 points per game finals average. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just one of the great finals performers of all time. And, and so you could say he won that in reminder that it's – this game was a reminder that he was one of the great finals players we've ever seen. Yeah. And you, you, you saw that in this. But like I said, there's that tinge of sadness. And I remember that exact Phil quote you're talking about, that we wasted this, and it was because you knew. And it's a little bit sad that at this point it was, it was a one-off in his career, whereas you used to know you were getting that every single game in the finals. And this was – it's an impressive performance. It was amazing. Um, but it's also the end of that as a – style of play in the NBA. You know, I, I watched this. I kind of couldn't wait for this game to be over. I didn't enjoy watching this. Remember the series before this with the Pistons Pacers? Oh, One of those awful. games was like 65, yeah, 62. But that was, that was why I thought the Lakers were winning. I'm like, the, the Pistons can't score more than 80 points. Yeah. You know, and, but this was basketball. That's why anyone, anytime people get to say, oh, nice basketball is so much better. No, it wasn't. And, I mean, this was the offensive style, which you saw from the Lakers. That was the dominant style you know, for a good 15 years. Yeah. And it was different because you had Michael. So you take Michael out of it and 90s basketball is trash. We saw that the first year Michael retired. It was terrible. The All-Star game was terrible. There was nothing fun about the NBA there. The finals were terrible. Like the lowest score that you kept in the notes, it'd always be like lowest since like the Fort Wayne Pistons against the Syracuse. We also it? didn't have enough good players. Yeah. And that there Which was there now. was a little bit of a drought, but like 95 to basically 04, 
there weren't enough good players. Everybody's trying to do that hero ball style mm -hmm. or pound it low or just, and there's no ball it movement. Awful. It wasn't really till the 04 Olympics that I remember going, this is now a crisis. I think I even wrote a column about it. I was like, yeah. we're, we're now in crisis. Yeah, that Olympic team was. Even bad. our point guards now aren't yeah. even trying to be point guards. So, when, so you got the seven seconds and less Spurs or Suns come in. You had the, you they got rid of the hand now check Le rules. LeBron starts to mature and those guys are ready. To, KD comes in. So like it's, 05, 06, when do we come out of this? No, I don't think we came out of it till this decade. Really? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's 2010, 11. Because now you have KD and Westbrook and those guys. They're they're starting their own little team. You have uh, LeBron and Wade in Miami. Right. You have the old school Celtics team that's kind of representing the old guard. You have Nash's sons that first year. Like you go around, it, there's just more fun teams. Um, maybe you could even say it started with the We Believe Warriors in 07. That was fun. Um, um, you have the the 2011 Mavericks. Like it just felt like we had more talent finally. I remember, remember when the Rockets won 22 games and it was like, I don't understand this. Ray for Alston. <laughs> T-Mac. T-Mac. It was like, you could win 22 games with one good guy. You could never do that now. Now it's like, we're just overloaded. Yeah, now it's great. But watching this made me really appreciate both what the sun started and what we have now with the Warriors. Like, it's yeah. so much better now. The, you know, this is a golden time to watch the NBA. You're in, and you're watching in HD. I guess this series was in HD, one of the early ones in HD. Um, it, it's just better now, you know? And yeah. don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But Michael Jordan was better. I'd rather watch Michael Jordan than watch anybody today. I'm I sorry. still take the early 90s over any era. Really? Yeah, oh. just for entertainment value. Just we had so many stars back then. They were like Hall of Famers everywhere, and we had less teams. Like 92, 93 even? But like Magic I love and Bird the are out by then? I love the 91, 92 season and the next season where you had like all the up-and-comers. You had Shaq in Orlando. You had LJ in Mourning and Charlotte. And you just going down the line, Barclays in Phoenix. And uh, you had the Portland teams were great and Chicago and the Knicks. And I, I just thought that I thought the talent That's was fine. concentrated better. Right. Now we have enough talent. Again. We have more talent. There's more talent in the league. The style of play is better. Uh, Book of Basketball Podcast. Jay, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.